0: Hey everyone, this is David from Wisconsin. I'm Jack's podcast producer. I just wanted to remind you real quick that Jack has a podcast hotline. You can leave him a voicemail at 920-415-4525. All you got to do is leave your name, where you're from, roughly, and then your question or comment, whatever. Jack really does want to hear from you. Again, that number is 920-415-4525. You can also text your questions to that number or email jack at jack.hager at gmail.com all of those contacts will be in the show notes for this episode thanks for listening we'll see you later so yo jack where have you been well i'm glad you asked i've been a lot of places Significantly, for a while, I was in the fog of seasonal depression. I didn't really want to do much, didn't want to think much, didn't want to say much. Uh, God got me through that. I'm on top of that now. A lot of things have happened since I've last been on the air. Uh, Most significantly, I suppose, is I developed the DVT on Labor Day, also known as a blood clot. Kind of a crazy thing. So now I'm on blood thinners, praying the thing goes away. If you want to join me in that prayer, that'd be fine. I had a great, great doctor at the VA. I asked her where blood clots came from. She said, we don't know. And I said, what's the prognosis? And she said, well... It could go away on its own. We're going to put you on blood thinners. That should help it go away. Or you could be dead before I finish this sentence. I like straight up people. I like straight answers. And one thing I know for sure: my times are in His hands. I will not die ahead of time. I will not live longer than I should. And I hope I get to live a few more years, a lot more years. But more than anything else, I want to finish well. More than anything else, I don't want to bring disgrace to the name of Jesus Christ. So I'm praying that my days will be good. I'm praying that my days will be effective. I'm praying. That my ministry will be effective. I'm praying that God will continue to open doors of service. As I speak, know my heart is heavy. A young lady that I know and have known for a couple years ended her life on Saturday. Olivia was a painfully shy young lady, very timid. Just as sweet as she could be, she was a twin. I was able to see her just a few days before she ended her life. She and her sister play volleyball for a homeschool team. They stopped by our headquarters, and I got to visit with them and their mother, and it's a cherished, cherished memory. Olivia had a disease I've never heard of before, and I don't remember the name of it right now. It doesn't really matter, but it's a disease wherein sounds... Certain sounds just, uh, well, drive her crazy. Her mother told me it was things like her grandmother uh, clipping her fingernails, her dad chewing, other things that would just get in her head and vibrate. And, and I, I can't explain it. I don't know what happened. But I do know she left a note. And the note simply said something like, I love you, Mom. I love you, Dad. I love you, Jesus. But I just can't take it anymore. I know she's with the Lord. I know there are some people who would disagree with that. It's a free country. You're entitled to your wrong opinion. The only argument you can make about suicide is that, well, they never had a chance to ask forgiveness. Really? So if I missed a sin today, does that mean I'm going to hell? Of course not. We're saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by works, any kind of works. Obviously, suicide isn't ideal. But I expect to see Olivia in heaven. In fact, if I don't get to see her in heaven, I don't want to go. Some people say, well, do you have a scriptural basis for this? Yeah, Samson. Remember Samson? Did some stupid stuff. Did a lot of stupid stuff. Paid heavy dues for it. Was assaulted sexually. A lot of things happened to him. Blinded. And yet in his last moments, what did he say? Let me have vengeance on the Philistines. He wasn't that concerned about God. He was concerned about himself. And then what did he say? Lord, let me die with the Philistines. Methinks that's a form of suicide. And yet somehow this guy gets in Hebrews 11. So if you think uh, suicide is the unforgivable sin, you're wrong. If you think that suicide is a horrible thing, you're probably right. But in her agony, in her pain... I can't judge her, and neither should you. So as I speak, we're getting ready to celebrate her life this Friday morning. I've been asked to be a pallbearer. I'm honored to do that. And I am praying that she was a Bible quizzer. Bible quizzing meant everything to her. She studied great chunks, memorized great chunks of God's Word. And uh, she was involved in our Bible Quiz League, and I'm expecting scores of Bible quizzers to be there. Her parents asked us all to wear quiz shirts because that meant so much to her. And as we gather together, there will be tears. We grieve, but we don't grieve as the world grieves. There will be a little bit of anger. There will be all kinds of emotions. And I know the pastor, I know he's going to share Jesus, he's going to share the gospel. And I pray that non-Christians are tugged to Jesus. I pray that we who are hurting are given a measure of grace. I pray particularly for her twin sister, Janet, and for her mom and for her dad, but particularly for her twin sister, who has been uh, obviously deeply, deeply affected by this. Romans 8.28 is a wonderful verse to quote to other people. All things work together for good. It doesn't say that all things are good. It does say that God is big enough. God is powerful enough. God can cause and will cause all things to work together for good. For everybody? No. For those who are called, for those who are loved by God. And we may never see how it works. Maybe we get to see in heaven, I don't know. But I know that I trust God. And I trust him to cause this horrible thing, this painful thing, this agonizing death, to bring good to the kingdom of God. I pray that young people are thinking about eternity. I pray that young people and adults are examining themselves to see whether they be in the faith. I pray that I and all of us are more alert to seizing the moments we have to impact lives with the message of hope, to seizing the moments we have to encourage one another, to build each other up, to exhort one another, and yes, to rebuke one another when necessary. I pray that you and I would be men and women who stand up for Jesus Christ even when it hurts. I pray that we're men and women who know when to shut up. God set a guard before my lips that I don't say something dumb. I pray that we understand that when people are grieving, remember Job? Job lost everything, and he had three friends, and at first they got it right. Why? Because they came to Job, they sat with him, they wept with him. All was good until they opened their mouths. I think there's a lesson there. People need presence. People need Jesus with skin on. They don't need a Bible verse. They don't need encouragement. They need physical presence. And I'm grateful that I've been able to do that with the family. I'm grateful she's surrounded, the family's surrounded by people who loved Olivia and loved Jesus. I'm grateful that we have a calm and peaceful assurance that one glad morning when this life is over, will fly away and we shall behold Jesus. And at some point, I shall see Olivia again. Maybe you've been going through some struggles. Maybe you've been going through some t- stuff. In fact, uh, if you say you haven't been, you're lying. Because my Bible says the same thing yours says. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's not just for Russians. It's not just for Cambodians. It's not just for Iranians. It's for those of us who live in this godless, God-hating nation called America. We will suffer persecution. I believe, I firmly believe that we will suffer severe persecution as the hours and days and weeks and months and years unfold. For several years, I've told teenagers that I believe some of them will have the opportunity to die for Jesus Christ, the privilege of laying down their life as a martyr. Oh, that'll never happen here. Really? Really? (laughs) As if America is owed something by God, this nation that makes Hitler look like an amateur through the horror of abortion, this nation that glorifies sin, never has been a Christian nation, never will be a Christian nation. I don't want to live in a Christian nation until I get to the kingdom of God. But uh, make sure your patriotism doesn't cloud your allegiance to Jesus Christ. I love America. It beats the alternatives, but it's not God's country. It never has been God's country. Oh, but it was founded on... Yeah, 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 I get that. But that doesn't make it a Christian nation. You'd think we'd learn after a while. Getting our guy in the White House doesn't solve a thing. Remember Ronald Reagan? Getting our people elected doesn't solve a thing. I'm not saying Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. We should. I am saying there's no hope in politics. It's not going to change things. The only thing that changes things is the Holy Spirit working through us of all people, working through us to share the gospel with other people. Hearts by hearts, lives are changed. Hearts by hearts and minds by minds, lives are changed. And the change for the good of God. Yes, I pray for a revival in the nation. But we don't schedule revival. God sends revival. And revival starts with the people of God. When we stop being entertained and desire to be edified, where we stop doing sloppy, agape, huggy-wuggy stuff and present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy, separated, living gifts to God, laying down our lives, picking up our cross, doing those things that the Bible demands, doesn't suggest. What did Paul say? Eleven chapters of incredible doctrine, eleven chapters of incredible information, 11 chapters that will answer every answerable question this side of glory. And then in what we call chapter 12, verse 1, he segues, and for the rest of the book of Romans, are practical implications. Now that I know this stuff, what do I do? Now that I know this stuff, how do I live? Now that I know this stuff, how do I give? Now that I know, and Paul tells us, and he begins with a trumpet sound. He does a tricky thing in the Greek language to say, this is important. I beg you, I urge you, I plead with you, once and for all, in view of the mercies of God. What's that? Everything that came in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. In view of the mercies of God, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, logical service of worship. It's not a series of repeated acts. It's not a dedication, a rededication, a re-rededication. Every head bowed, every eye closed, is there one? It's a once and for all commitment. It may take over a process of time, it may be in a moment of time, but the Greek carries with it a singular act. Here I am, Lord. I present myself, my hang ups, my hopes, my sins, my dreams, my family, my riches, my poverty, my cancer. I present everything I got. I lay it down at your feet as a living sacrifice. I don't know what the name of claim it, blab it, grab it, prosperity idiots do with that. Our life is not supposed to be healthy and wealthy. Our life is to be holy. He's called the Holy Spirit. He is not called the Happy Spirit. Yes, we can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. We should have joy unspeakable and full of glory. But that doesn't mean we're ha- I am not going to be happy at the funeral. I don't weep often. I've wept often since I heard of her death. I know there's going to be a lot of tears. There were a lot of tears last night at visitation. People I've known for decades just shattered and crushed. But we'll be built up. We'll lean into Jesus. We'll trust him to give us the power to go on. And in a sense, we'll go on honoring Olivia. Not remembering how she died, but remembering her life. Let me tell you my favorite memory of hers. It was my favorite memory before her death. It was one of my favorite memories in 40-plus years of quiz mastering. If you don't know what quizzing is, in our style, BibleQuizFellowship.org, we have teams of seven. We have material each year. The students memorize chunks of Scripture. Most students during the course of a season memorize at least six or seven chapters of the Bible. They learn the importance of context. They're not memorizing John 3.16 and Romans 10.13. and 1st They're memorizing chapters, line upon line. That's one of the huge benefits of quizzing. They learn the importance of context. They sit on electronic pads. The quiz master... The person asking the question says things like, time in question, according to John 3:16, 16, who still loved the world? With the answer, of course, being God. The teenagers, they look at the quiz master, the competitive ones look at the quiz master's mouth to see whether he's forming a who or what or when. And as soon as they think they know what the question is and the answer, they leap to their feet. They have 20 seconds to give the correct question, the correct answer without any extraneous information. If it's a quote verse, they have 30 seconds is to quote the verse, Word Perfect. It's an exciting thing. It's very competitive. But all the trophies, all the placements, all the junk is is really irrelevant. The important thing is they are studying, studying the living, active, powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword Word of God. And that's the only thing I do in my ministry, in my life, that I can't lose at. I can do a podcast and blow it. You know that. I can preach and blow it. Some of you know that. I can counsel and God forgive me, I can blow it. But encouraging people to study and memorize the word of God, that's a win-win-win. I directed quizzing in New York for a couple decades, and every now and then some parent would say, I'm not going to let my child quiz because there's non-Christians quizzing. Yeah, you got a point to this story? I'd let the Mormon church bring a quiz team as long as they didn't try to proselytize. Bible... Bible, Bible. The Word of God does the work of God. Anyway, so the seven minute halves, so 14 minutes of quizzing. three teams compete at a time. Here in uh, St. Joseph, we've got 24 or 25 teams this year. Uh, we've got teams from as far away as Springfield, which is almost two hours. Teams from Iowa, that's an hour, hour and a half. We've got uh, teenagers participating from a lot of different areas. And we are one of several Bible quiz ministries. There are denominations that quiz, Nazarenes, Assembly of God, Free Methodist, and probably others. And that's great. But our quizzing is just a little different style and it works for us, but uh, last season, Olivia was in one of my quizzes, and I don't remember what the question was. I don't remember anything else, but students jumped, and I recognized number five on another team, but Olivia just misheard or misstepped, and she began speaking, and I said, oh, I'm sorry. I got to give you a foul because you're speaking out of turn, and dear sweet timid, lovely Olivia said, oh, crap. Had any teenager said that, it would have been rather funny. For Olivia to say it, every eye in the room turned to her and grinned. She blushed a little bit and she smiled a little bit. And it was just a hilarious moment. And I recognize that's probably not the best word to use, but it's not a horrible word. It's not a, it's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, and if you if you think there is, I I re- appreciate that, I respect that. But it was a hilarious moment, and I know many of us will be thinking of that as we celebrate her life this afternoon and morning. Death is the common denominator. It is appointed unto all men once to die. Hebrews says, and after that the judgment. I wonder about you, friend. Are you ready? Are you ready to check out of this thing called life? Do you have a confidence in your soul that Jesus is in your life, that he is your savior, that he is your Lord? By the way, you have no choice. He is your Lord. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a good idea to bow this side of death. One day you will acknowledge the truth of the gospel. If you do at this side of heaven, you get to spend eternity there. If you die without Christ, you spend eternity in a place called hell. Eternal separation from a holy God. But I'm sure many of you think you're Christians. That's not good enough. There's a little letter in the Word of God called 1 John. It's five short chapters. It's in the Bible for one reason and one reason only the mission statement of first john is in chapter 5 he who has the son has life he who does not have the son of god does not have life you know jack i'd read the bible but it's so hard to understand yeah right. That's really tough. If you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. And then what does John say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? I write these things to you who believe in order that you may know, K-N-O-W, that you have eternal life. A lot of people quote 1 John 5 and say, oh, isn't that wonderful? It's not wonderful unless you have the context. The context is first John one one, one two, one three, all the verses preceding first John five, he writes these things. What are these things? Look through them. It's basically formulas. I hate formulaic Christianity, unless it's God's formula. And he basically says if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck and waddles like a duck, chances are it'd be a duck. If it walks like a child of the devil and acts like a child of the devil and talks like a child of the devil, chances are it be a child of the devil. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. God's word is pretty clear. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 are wonderful verses. We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of works. We're not saved by baptism. We're not saved by being white, God forbid. We're not saved by speaking in tongues. We're not saved by not speaking in tongues. We're not saved by reading the King James. We're not saved by being baptized in water. We're not saved by anything but God's amazing grace. And everybody has Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 underlined in their Bible, probably. But can I remind you that Ephesians 2:10 is just as inspired as Ephesians 2:8 and 9? What does Ephesians 2:10 says? We are created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of bringing forth good works which God has before ordained that we should practice them. We are saved by grace, but grace works. We are saved by faith, but faith works. You come to Christ, the Holy Spirit enters your life, and he begins a work of transformation. And that word work is not a bad word. That word work means work. What's the scripture say? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because I'm really smart, I'm going to tell you what that verse in Philippians means. It means work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't assume that you're a Christian because somebody told you you are. Don't assume that you're a Christian because you prayed a prayer. Don't give me your testimony of when you came to Christ. Testimony should be current events, not history. Yes, it's ideal to know when you got saved, how you got saved, etc., but that's irrelevant. What difference is Jesus Christ making in your life today? What are you not doing today because of your commitment to Jesus Christ? What are you doing today? None of us got this whole thing figured out. Any Christian is capable of any sin at any time. We all blow it. We all fail. That's why my favorite verse is in 1 John, because I need it so often. What is that verse? 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John has got nothing to do with non-Christians. 1 John 1.9 too many people use it as part of an invitation to salvation. It's got nothing to do with non-Christians. If I, as a child of God, sin, God is faithful. He'll forgive me. If I confess my sin to him, what's that word mean? I agree with. I'm not going to blame the color of my skin. I'm not going to blame my parents. I'm not going to blame the way I was potty trained. I'm not going to blame America. I'm not going to blame the war. I'm going to take the rap. Lord, I have sinned. I think when a five or six-year-old kid says, dear Jesus, please forgive me for all the naughty things I did, I think the Lord smiles and grins. But as we get a little older, if we confess our sins, dear Lord Jesus, please forgive me for mentally undressing that girl today. Dear Lord Jesus, please forgive me for cursing today. Dear Lord, whatever's on your heart today, confess it to God, name it, repent of it, walk in newness of life. Well, this isn't what I planned for my first return to You Know Jack, the podcast, but maybe it's what God has planned. For those of us that are Christians, let's not waste time praying for opportunities to share the gospel. Let's just do it. Let's just brag on Jesus. Let's just look for opportunities to throw out a sanctified commercial for Jesus. Let's be alert to the people around us. Question, how many people in your life have never had anybody pray for them? Maybe next time you're talking to somebody and they're sharing something with you, just say, can I pray for you? Maybe they'll say no. Maybe they'll respond harshly. On the other hand, maybe they'll say, yeah, I wish you would. And when they do, if, it's, if, it, if it fits, pray for them right there. Bow your head and, and out loud pray for them. It may make a significant impact in their life. Use the name of Jesus. Don't talk about God Anybody can talk about God. Oh, but Jack, God and Jesus are the same. Thank you very much. I know that God and Jesus are the same. Guess what? They don't. Besides that, there's no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. Lift up, speak up the name of Jesus. So as we close for this podcast, pray for me that uh, my life counts for Jesus. Pray for me that I bring no disgrace to his name. I'll be praying the same for you. And if there's any way I can pray with you or for you, get in touch with me. I'm not afraid to give you my phone number, 816-261-1881, or email jack.hager at gmail.com. It's what I do. I'm not real smart, but I am smart enough not to try to bluff you, not to try to con you. And if you need a listening ear, give me a ring. If you just need to dump, go ahead and dump. But at the same time, Do you know that you're a Christian? If you do, do the people around you know that you're a Christian? Quick reminder, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Don't beat yourself up. If we've made you uncomfortable, just say, you know what? I'm tired of being uncomfortable. I'm going to be uncomfortable for the right reason. I'm going to be uncomfortable because I'm going to sacrifice my life for Jesus Christ. One of my favorite verses is Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope... I love that. The God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may overflow with hope. Jack Hager, talk to you later.